0: getting all lined up for TV. <sighs> I can breathe. <laughs> oh, sorry, you guys can't breathe. <laughs> Seriously, I was singing, and I'm like, I'm gonna pass out right now. Uh, people would have thought, wow, like, he's slain in the spirit, man, he's really, no, I just lost oxygen, didn't have enough. Um, so this morning, we get to really do something awesome. You've noticed on your chairs, this really uh, cool invention. Man, isn't it awesome that we can do Look at this. Uh, there's a little wafer in the top, and then there's juice in the bottom. But, and I mean that without being uh, facetious, I think it is cool that we can do this. And we're pressing on in the worship of our Lord, doing what we can with what we have. And uh, I think that's awesome. That's awesome. And I just want to just Hats off. If I had a hat, I would take it off to the ministry team. They've just done so much, right, to sort of pull all this together every week and make this work so that people who are uh, compromised in some way or don't don't feel right about coming out, they can stay home and still worship. And this is just a great blessing and really a sign of us persevering as a church. You know, we're, we're persevering and walking that balance, right, of being sensitive, right, and respectful, uh, but also uh, doing what we can to do what the Lord has commanded us to do in worshiping together like this. So, uh, praise God. So this morning, if you do have Bibles, like me, I'm old school, I carry around a 20-pound paper Bible. Um, uh, If you do have one of those, um, we're going to be starting in Psalm 105, and if you don't have one of those... And you do have uh, a Bible app. We're going to be getting into a lot of text this morning. Uh, and really, it's all in preparation for celebrating the Lord's Supper here this morning. Um, so um, I'm just hopeful that the Lord uses this for you. I mean, he's really ministered to me in the past couple of weeks going through this. And that's the great selfish blessing of teaching is you get to really be fed. But... My main desire is, as, as John says, that his joy is complete when he sees the church being blessed. Um, my joy will be complete if God uses this for you this morning in some way to strengthen your faith, some way to spur you on toward love and good deeds, and in some way to love God more deeply um, as a result of this morning. So um, let's pray for that right now. Lord, we just... Come before you this morning, and uh, Lord, just recognizing you—you you are the King. You are the God of all. And but also, Lord, we confess that as the days go by and the weeks and all the concerns and the worries, Lord, we we feel it. We know that you shrink, Lord, um, into something less powerful than you are, into someone less loving than you are, and Lord, we begin running to other things, we begin watching the news and panic seeps in, Uh, Lord, we begin to be tempted to run to all kinds of things for our comfort, Um, but Lord, we come here this morning just knowing, Lord, we want you and we know, God, that you are the answer, Lord, for everything, and that's not hyperbole. That's not overstatement. You really are, God. And thank you for the worship team this morning, just singing out. God, that, it's so awesome to praise your name. And Lord, meet us here this morning as we open up your scripture. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the songbook that you've inspired uh, for the Psalms. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, Lord. You've filled him with passion, with understanding. You took that Pharisee that enemy of Christ, and turned him into the greatest advocate, Lord. And we want to learn from him this morning. And we also, Lord, want to celebrate the supper that you've told us to for our good, God. And we're excited about that. Lord, bless us through all of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, memory is so important. Um, And if we think about it for a minute, we all kind of live out of our memory. We know our day, and we know how to interpret what's happening around us because of what we've experienced before. And then, so we also kind of look into the future, and we anticipate certain events based on our experiences leading up to that moment. Okay, and I think that's probably true of all of us. We all live in that way. We live out of our memory, out of our remembrance. And God recognizes that. God has fully considered that. And so what he's done is he's broken into history at specific times to put an indelible mark into your memory about who he is and what he's about and what he promises for the future. Because he knows that his people are going to live out of their memories. They're gonna live in the present and they're gonna look forward to the future based on what God has done in the past. And so we see this powerfully. If you if you and I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch a little bit for the old paper Bibles because I'm gonna jump around a little bit, and I find that's much easier with a paper Bible. You can go here and there and everywhere. A little bit of an advocate, and I'm not paid by NIV or anybody, but I just like that because I feel like. You can be in a bit of a mouse maze with a, with a, with a computer, with a, you know what I'm trying to say, a Bible app. Um, Anyway, enough on that. That's an old person's hobby horse. (laughs) But if you go to Psalm 105, what we're going to look at is two psalms put right next to each other. One psalm, Psalm 105, is a song of celebration about what God has done in the past. But the point of it wasn't just like a museum. Let's go through and let's look at this museum about what God has done. It is to affect the present. It is to be the frame by which you understand your present. And whenever Israel got into trouble, they forgot their past. They forgot what God had done. And so they couldn't properly interpret their present or look forward to their future. Because they had forgotten the God of the past. And that's exactly the language of Psalm 105 and Psalm 106. But I'm getting ahead of myself. If you're at Psalm 105, it begins with praise. And interestingly enough, when we come to Ephesians, how does Paul begin? Praise. It starts there. And so here's the psalmist. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name in the present Today, call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look, now here's a key phrase right here. Today, look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Now that's a kind of a totalizing statement when you seek the Lord that it is about prayer but it's more than prayer that is live in God's will God's ways depending upon God's strength all of that you could look up seek and you would find all of that coming under the heading of seek so when you hear seek the Lord that means all of it It means live in his ways live in his will look forward to his future dwell on his past and trust in him for today, which of course leads to prayer, right? Natu- it just naturally does. I should say supernaturally, but if you trust in God and he's all powerful and he's done these amazing things in the past and you believe him for your present and future and you're in trouble, what's that going to lead to? Prayer. That's why they, they talk about uh, prayer being the language of faith. It's, it's faith speaking, right? Because you go, you go where you're going to be helped, I know prayer is saying, and that's why God delights in it, because it glorifies him as the mighty God. It's like, oh, you're coming to me. That's awesome, because you know who I am, and your prayers and your weakness magnifies me right now. And so that's just, this is what Psalm 105 is all about. This is the worship of Israel. And it's also interesting because it's enjoy God. It's like, don't just come to him stating facts about him, But come to him stating truths that you delight in and enjoy, that you rejoice in. We're also going to see that in Ephesians as well. Paul doesn't write just a letter of theological truths. He's delighting in his God in that letter. Anyway, let's go on. Verse 5. Remember, there's a key phrase, remember the wonders he has done. So how do you look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always? You remember the Lord in what he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, which we are those. O descendants of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. That's a statement of God's sovereign judgments that are now present in all the earth, including COVID 19 including racial strife in our country, including wars. His judgments are in all the earth. We interpret all things in the frame of God's power and sovereignty. That puts us at amazing peace, not unconcerned, uh, not that we, we're not grief-stricken, not that we're, uh, we rise up to, to do what's right in the moment, but there's this, there's this frame that understands that it's God's judgments that are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. He does not forget. Now, I'm going to go through real quickly because what the psalmist does is he says, okay, who can I talk about that would really highlight this? And so he talks about Abraham being taken one family out of a nation and just protected and provided for. And God covered him with protection and provision, created a great nation from him. And then he talks about Joseph who was, remember Joseph's story, you got to read, if you haven't read Joseph's story, because this, when you read the story of Joseph, you read about this God who is so crazy, amazing, like here's Joseph who's betrayed by his brothers, sent into slavery, right, and you'd think, wow, this is, wow, and for a long time, I don't remember exactly how long, but it was a long time, but then over time, and he's, he's falsely accused of sexual assault. You remember that, Potiphar's wife. And things get worse for him. They go from bad to worse. And then, but what does God do? He intervenes. And he raises Joseph up to be like the chief of staff for Egypt. Wow. That, that changes your frame. And when you think of your life and what you're in right now or what you're going through right now, you read Joseph, and what that's supposed to do is affect your memory that changes your present and gives you hope for the future. You see how that works? So you don't grab onto idols. You don't comfort yourself with alcohol or drugs. You don't become vindictive or angry. You become a person of prayer, and you wait upon your God. You seek him, and you trust him, and that's worship. God loves it. It's like, yes, What do we have next? Joseph, Moses, talks about Moses next, delivers Israel, Israel delivered out of Egypt, right? Ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea. You know, sometimes we treat those like cute stories, but those are not cute stories. Those are wicked plagues. The death of the firstborn. And then they come out of the Red Sea and they're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. And what do we do now? Moses raises his staff, right? And it's like, go through. And what did they do after that? He said, you need to remember this because this is going to This is going to frame your present and give you hope for the future. And so what did God institute? Here's a little Bible quiz. What did God institute for them to remember this? Every year they were to do something annually. You guys have face masks, so I can't hear anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Passover, which is what we're celebrating today. It's the new covenant Passover because we've been saved from slavery. And so, remember this. Put it on your, and in Exodus thirteen sixteen, it says, um, because the, God was not going to do this for every generation. You know, he's not going to do this for every generation to see these things. So he instituted a Passover for them to remember. And it says in Exodus thirteen 16, it'll be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. A sign and a symbol. So when your son asks you, and I'm going to paraphrase, you guys remember that part, your son asks you, what does this mean? Oh, oh, son, let me tell you about our God. Let me tell you about our God. He is crazy, in a good way. <laughs> in a really good way. Um, and it, it, Let me frame your reality. Sit down, son. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a frame to work with. And it's going to get you through everything. So this is Psalm 105. Now, Psalm 106 functions the opposite way. It is the story of how Israel would forget. Um, and so I'm going to look real quickly. I'm keeping my eye on the time. It's 20 of noon now. Um, Psalm 106 this sets it the opposite way. That is, what we're going to sing a song now. This is like I don't know, like a Soundgarden song, or you know, one of these dark grunge bands. This is set to the tune of grunge. You know, it's it's here is how Israel will go astray if you forget. It's a song of what happens. It's a dirge. And it's all meant to invoke this idea that we need to remember. Because if we don't remember, there's either two things. You either remember or you forget. There's There's no no in-between. And And so so we we want to remember so that we know who we are now in light of God's reality. And we don't forget that because that's going to guide our way. But notice um, it begins the same way. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. But then it goes down to verse 6, kind of a, a moral lesson of, um, of misadventure of what, have, what has happened. Verse 6, we have sinned even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the Red Sea. Do you remember what that rebellion was at the Red Sea? God says, 10 plagues. They come out, they're standing by the Red Sea, and essentially Israel was cursing Moses. Like, why did you do this? We're about to die. That's rebellion. They had forgotten. Their present was not defined by their past. And so they couldn't believe in God's future because they had forgotten their past. You see how that works? And so they fell into rebellion. Now we could chart this. I'm not going to take the time to do this, but this is what um, this is what now the psalmist does through 106, through each time of rebellion, each time of falling away. And notice when you read it on your own, notice the times that are mentioned that they forgot God, which is really to say they stopped having faith in the God of their present and future. So um, what we're doing this morning is bringing Christ present, right? In the meal, it's a remembrance of what he has done, okay? So I bring this up just to frame it because, and I'm going to do a quick kind of cursory look at how Paul does this in Ephesians. So again, let's turn to Ephesians, and we will get to our verse this morning. Okay, so just like Psalm 105, what, what Paul does in chapters 1 through 3, it's really, a, it's really praise. He's really looking back at all the things that God has done in Christ. And I'm going to become a grammar um, nerd, and Matt will know what I'm talking about. But these are indicative verbs. There's indicative verbs indicating what God has done. And he spends chapters one through three celebrating God, putting that into the memory of us in the Ephesian church. We need to remember this because this is going to frame how we view our present and enable us to have faith for our future. So notice how he begins, just like the psalmist, verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forget this being a systematic theology. He's just like, no, we start with this. I'm going to write you a letter that is rejoicing in God. That's the first saying. Um, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4. Four. so this is like the pinnacle of the iceberg, right? Praise God. And then he goes into verse four. Four, and this is the base of the iceberg that sits below the water, right? What's poking up through is praise God. But what's below is sustaining that praise. It's giving reason for that praise, right? We don't just praise God for nothing. We praise him for many things. And he's about to now go in. for Chapters 1 through 3 are all the ways, or some of the ways at least, we praise God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, for he chose us. That's huge. First thing, what has God done in the past? He chose you. He looked upon you and he said, You are adopted. That's a lot. That's profound. So much mystery to that. We're not getting into that. But that's the first thing. He goes back. Notice where he goes. He goes prehistory. He goes back to the mind of God before the creation of the world. You were in his mind. With foreknowledge, he predestined and chose you. Creates all kinds of difficulties for us. But nevertheless, it's true. And so the first thing we start with for praise is that Wow, he chose me. Not only that, in Christ, the one he has chosen, he washed you, verse 7, he cleansed you, gave you forgiveness of sins. He set you free from your guilt. He chose you to be holy and blameless. And so part of that was being set free from guilt. Not only that, verse 10, not only did he do those two things, chose you, cleansed you, but he also gave you... uh, He gave you knowledge of the mystery of his will to know that at the end of time, he will bring all things under his headship. Wow. Who knows that? Where are you going to see that? CNN, Fox News? What? Does Putin know that? Right? That in all, everything. Did you guys see the verse on that? This is verse 10 verse 9 and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth under together under one head even Christ you know the future you're a prophet You've just been given knowledge of the future that one day every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You know that. And the only way you know that is because God has given you that knowledge. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's more. He goes on and he says, with the same power that God has raised Christ from the dead. Now I'm at verse 19, chapter 1. With that same power that God has raised Christ from the dead, he has put in you and in the present has spiritually raised you from the spiritual dead, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit raised Christ, the Holy Spirit raised you. That same power now resides inside of you. The incomparably, I love that, great power for us who believe, cannot be compared. And that's important, that phrase, because what we do is if we lose sight of who God is and we lose sight of what he's doing in us, then we lose sight of who we are in him and then we begin looking for other powers and things to provide for what we think we need. I was just reading about um, David and Goliath, another one of those cute stories that I don't think is meant to be a cute story, um, you know, where Israel's trembling, and there's, and Goliath is basically challenging, saying, "We don't need to fight each other. You bring out a warrior and he can fight me, and we'll decide it between the two of us." Goliath happened to be nine feet tall and have 125 pounds of bronze armor and have a spearhead that weighs 15 pounds, which is quite a bit. If you've ever bought 15 pounds of chicken, that's quite a bit of chicken. <laughs> so, you know, you know so, so Israel's looking at Goliath, and, and, they're, and they're measuring up their chances by looking at their soldiers. We don't have any nine-footers, you know? Uh, we don't have somebody who has 120, can carry 125. We don't have somebody battle-hardened. This Philistine that Goliath has been through so many campaigns, battle-hardened. We don't have that. So they're looking at comparing Goliath with what they've got. And so David comes out to the field, this shepherd, probably young man at this point, um, and they're saying to him, yeah, this Philistine is denying the armies of Israel. He's defying the armies of Israel. But that's not how David saw it. He didn't see them as defying the armies of Israel. He looked at this nine foot Philistine with 125 pounds of armor and said, no, he's defying the armies of the living God. The living God, the God who split seas, the God who sent plagues, the God who sustained Israel The God, and also as well, really important for David, I'm sure, took care of him in the desert, enabling him to defeat bear and lion, right? He had seen God's faithfulness. So God's faithfulness in the past gave him faith for the present and for what God could do in the future. And so he marched out to face face Goliath, not so much because he was confident in his ability, but because he was confident in his God. So the incomparably great power for us who believe is true, residing in us. Verse 22, another amazing truth. So what do we got? He chose us. He redeemed us. He gave us uh, wisdom into the mystery of the end. He's raised us with the same power that Christ was raised. And also, verse 22, profound statement. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that is Christ, to be head over everything for the church. Think about that. Christ is now head over everything for you. That includes COVID. That includes everything that we're facing is that this has all been orchestrated. Christ is over head over all of it for your behalf. That is, these things somehow, and this is what we work out, right? It's like, these are for my good. This is an awesome verse. Romans 8, 28, for God. I'm going to butcher it right now. Um, nobody can say it for me because you've all got face masks on. Romans 8. Thank you, Rose. That's it. Yes. Yes. So Christ is on his throne governing everything for our good. And it's like, wow, how does that work? Think about this. Not only that, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ. Notice the indicatives. We're still, he's still talking about what God has done, right? All this is remembrances. All this is remember this. Right? All of this is packed into this little cup, which we're about to celebrate. And I mean that. Because when we partake of Christ, we're partaking of these realities. Um, So God raised us up, and I don't understand this. If somebody understands this, could you please explain it to me? But look at this, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. That has happened. I don't know how that's happened, but it's happened. We're somehow seated in reigning and ruling with Christ even now, before the time when Christ consummates his kingdom and it's explicit and every knee will bow. Our knees bow now, right? That's what worship is about. I'm almost done with this remembering. But we we come now to the new temple. This is fascinating to me because what he's doing now is No more physical temple. Now he's building together, Jew and Gentile, a spiritual temple, a place. You remember Jerusalem was where the spirit would dwell, in the Holy of Holies, only there. And only the high priest could go in there. But God is doing something new where his spirit comes down, dwells in us. Jew, Gentile, every ethnic group, Every nation and from all this this tapestry, this mosaic, God is pulling together a new temple, a new Jerusalem, a place where his spirit dwells, in a place where living sacrifices are now offered. And we're going to come to that in just a second. But this this is now what God is doing. So this is what God is doing. Right? And. We're now in chapter three, near the end. We're almost, we're actually getting close to our verse. It's five of 12. Um, But now he ends this with a prayer. Almost like, um, oh Lord, you know, seek this in their hearts and minds. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, God. Now it changes. He goes from indicatives, one through three, to now imperatives. And if you look at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapters one through three, indicatives, Israel's past. Chapter four, guess what starts? Imperatives. So it's God has called us out, and he's described who he is for us. Now he sets us on the ground, and he says, be. Go be in my name. And so then he's listing out all these things we are to be, all these ways we are to be, all these things we are to do for each other and for the world. And so notice how it switches. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, therefore, I urge you, and this is where that big, big change happens, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So when we receive Christ, we receive the blessings of his forgiveness. We receive the blessings of all this remembrance that is to frame our lives. But not only that, we are now set upon the earth to be, for God, his treasured possession in people, to manifest his presence in the world. In the very same way that Israel was then set into the promised land to be, for God, a people. Same for us, different, because it's a different covenant, different expectations, but still the same idea. We're now set in the land to be reflections of God's glory in the world. So I'm going to have to get to the point here very quickly. But you could basically compress the verses we're looking at right now from 4.1 to 4.32. You could compress those because he's basically saying, Therefore, be worthy of the calling you have received. And now he's listing all the things we are to do to be worthy of the calling we have received. Okay, so it it would look something like this. So as a prisoner for the Lord then, and I don't think it's a mistake he, he mentions that he's a prisoner. Because this is a perfect way to introduce this section because what he's saying is, I'm walking worthy of the calling that I have been received. How do I know that? Because I'm a prisoner for the Lord. So it's like he's an example. He's an example for the church. And so he's beginning this by saying, I know what you're going to have to maybe go through, and I'm going through it right now to manifest my presence in the world. Um, So as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received now, you guys follow me here? Now I'm jumping to 32. Therefore, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators, and he's going to repeat himself right now, just putting it a little bit differently. Be imitators of God, therefore, See that, imitators, manifesting his presence in the world. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Hear the imperatives? Do it, put the plow to the ground. This is what it means. You have a calling. So we've been saved, yes, to go to heaven, but there's something to do before that. We've been saved to be God's presence in the world. Then we go to heaven. Um, Now, specifically, I need to hone in on this. Specifically, he's talking about forgiveness. It's not a random kind of kindness he's calling us to be. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. So that's the form of kind and compassionate he's talking about here. That is a specific kind. And it's a specific kind that after you've been hurt, it's it's how do you love somebody after you've been hurt? How do you love somebody after you've been embarrassed? How do you love somebody after you've been um, shamed or you've been disenfranchised? Some sort of injustice has been perpetrated against you. How do you now love somebody? Well, Jesus is our reference point. You love that person the same way Christ has loved you who shamed him who disenfranchised him, who stole glory from him, right? Who held contempt for him. In the same way, you are to love uh, the people who do that to you. Do you see the reciprocation that's happening there? In, In that way, you're not just preaching the gospel, you're being the gospel. You're modeling the gospel. You're a sign and symbol of the gospel, So now people don't just hear about Jesus, they experience Jesus through you. That's powerful. That's your calling. And I would be as strong as to say this, that you cannot receive the blessing of forgiveness without taking on the calling of forgiving other people. And I'm going to buttress that with two verses because that's an important statement that I just said there. That is, you can't claim to have the forgiveness of Jesus and not take on the calling of forgiving others in Jesus' name. Do you guys guys hear that? Now, there's a a couple verses I want to quote here uh, because we can't can't just throw those out into thin air. Um, One is 2 Corinthians 5, 15. uh, And he died for all, that is Jesus, that... Those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Do you hear that? So he died for all, not just so that people get to go to heaven, although that's true, but, he, but we're sort of jumping steps here. He died for all that those who live should now live for him, not for themselves. Right? So when you're wronged or you're embarrassed or you're humiliated or you're disenfranchised, what is it you want to do? This is where the, the text Eye for Iron and Tooth for Tooth really resonate with me. Right? Oh, yeah. You're going to regret doing that. You know, this, I think for all of us, we could say, yeah, you know what? Game on. You know, this is, you messed with the wrong guy. Right? Don't you want it? Maybe that's just me. But But this is like, no. That does not manifest the presence of Christ in this world. It's forgiving Jesus as you have been forgiven. And we could come back at it this way. You have been forgiven in order to forgive others in Jesus' name. The very purpose of your forgiveness is that you be a forgiving person. Do you see that? And I think that's why Jesus can warn us from the Sermon on the Mount saying, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, do you remember what he says? You will not be forgiven. I think that seals it. That's saying that, no, you cannot just take the gift and keep it to yourself. You receive the gift to give it to somebody else. That's the purpose. That's the point. And I think this is just, we've got to get this in us because this is what Jesus talks about in the upper room. Remember, he says, um, remain in my love. You remain in my love if you obey my commands. My command is this, lay your life down for one another. Um, And I tell you this so that your joy may be full. There's something special about that. It's like, yes, it's wonderful to know, and I don't want to underplay it because I know my past, It's wonderful to know that my sins have been wiped away. That's a wonderful thing. But what they're talking about here is the completion of that joy by experiencing the giving of the grace that you have received that's going to give you another kind of fullness of joy. A clean conscience before your brothers and before God that just lifts you. Because how can you think about it? You're a divided person. You're a double-minded person if you say, well, I enjoy the fact that God forgave me, but I'm not going to enter into the joy of forgiving my brother. I'd rather harbor resentment. I'd say that's an impossibility. In fact, John says that, doesn't he? How can you say you love God and hate your brother? How can you say you love God who you have not seen and hate your brother who you have seen? Those are strong warnings. Um, so this is this, coming together of Ephesians 1 through 3 and um, 4 through 6, indicatives, imperatives, God has done this to set a frame so that we would now be faithful and just and to forgive others their sins as he has forgiven us our sins. And in that way, we worship. And this is, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to close soon because it's 12.05. But if you go to chapter five, this is the this is the fragrant offering that rises from the new covenant temple. Okay, it's this as we do this. These are now the offerings. Okay, we don't need to go to Jerusalem and butcher animals. That's over with. But there is a temple. There is a high priest. His name is Jesus. There is a one and only sacrifice. His name is Jesus. Um. And we ourselves now, as brothers of Jesus, raise up sacrifices. And to forgive is a sacrifice. And to pursue forgiveness is a sacrifice. To, um, because sometimes it involves hard things with brothers and sisters. You've got to go through it. It's a hard thing. It's not easy. Sometimes we would wish the animals would come back and we wouldn't have to do that stuff. But, but, but what we're going for is the love of Christ and us experiencing that. Chapter 5, verse 1, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are now offering fragrant offerings. Paul says the same thing in Romans Same thing in Romans, by the way. You've got the indicatives um, all the way up to chapter 12. And then the imperatives follow. That is to say, you know, put your put your plow in the ground and be. He begins chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Remember, in view of God's mercy, looking back. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is the sacrifice of the new temple. That's what it is. This is our our worship. Um, And and I want to say just a couple things real quickly about that. But this is not an easy thing. And we're going to need all the power of the spirit that we can get. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's easy. You know, you, you talk to a brother or sister and it's just real oh, man, I'm sorry, you know. And it's like this really warm moment. It's kind of like that's what all, all Hallmark movies are. It's like you end, and it's like this really warm thing. It's like, And, you know, it's beautiful. I love that. Um, my wife probably have a dozen of those every week, you know. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, we come back together. It's like, yeah. Uh, um, but then other times it's not that easy. Um, and it's a risk. You know, it's like going into the promised land, and it's like, oh, should I do this? And you have to approach somebody, and you're not sure how it's going to go. It's a, you don't know how it's going to go. And one of the things, too, is, is it's humbling because you have to confess sort of a weakness. You're in kind of the weak position that I've been hurt, right? That's humbling. And maybe I speak from a guy. We don't get hurt. You know? It's like, I don't feel hurt. I don't want to be feel, you know, I don't want to talk about that stuff. But there are times it's like, it's humbling, right? And so, but you want to bring peace. You want to bring healing. You want to bring Christ's healing. You want to be his presence in the world. So you humble yourself and you trust the Lord. You say, Jesus, I'm going in and God, please work this. Please minister to him, minister to her, minister to me. Lord, if I need to see something, show me. Um, And so we work it out. Sometimes there are misunderstandings and you work those things out. Other times, you now you come away, there just isn't uh, forgiveness. There isn't uh, repentance. And I could talk more about that, but um, that's, that's enough uh, for this morning. But thank you guys for, for listening. And now, we're going to celebrate. Ephesians one through three is right in there. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's like a sign and a symbol, right? It's just like, um, well, it was the Passover was for Israel. It's a sign and symbol of the greatness of God, and so this is a sign and symbol of the greatness of Christ. Um. So if you if you have one of these cups, if you don't. Maybe you raise your hand and we can get you one. But you want to peel. There's like a little cellophane strip at the top, the really thin strip, and, the, and there's a wafer inside of that. Do you guys see that? I had to work at it a little bit. Okay. All right. Does everybody have their their bread? All right. So in the upper room, at the time of the Passover, Jesus gathered his twelve around him, and they celebrated the Passover. Except now Jesus invested the elements with new meaning. He pointed to himself, and he pointed at what was about to happen. But this would be a remembrance, right? This is why we do this, because we want to remember, because our memory frames our lives. And Jesus said, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's see. And if you peel back the, this is like a creamer. (laughs) We have the juice, a sign and a symbol of Christ's blood, which cleanses you, washes you, sets you free. So after the Passover meal, Jesus took the cup, the cup of blessing, and he said, this cup is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. And you know what they did after that? They worshiped.